Mac Power Users, episode 398. 60 more Mac tips. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside my pal, David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing fine. We we had a fire near us, but it didn't get close enough. So I feel like last week it was your flood. Now it's my fire. I don't know what's next. <laughs> Armageddon. It's really time to do the disaster preparedness show. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> In fact, I, I, I have a little bit of crow to eat during this show about UPS. Just I'll save that one for later. I'm just going to tease that right now. Uh, before we get too much further, we should mention that we are joined by a guest. So um, grab your glasses and say hello again to our your friend and mine, Mr. Brett Terpstra. Hello, Brett. Hello, Katie. Floyd. <laughs> I, I think we need music for Brett. Like, you know, he needs like a little theme music as he comes into the show. A stinger. I just need a stinger. Yeah, exactly. You know, like when Worf has a big thing, you know, they play like the, the Klingon music. Maybe uh, Brett could have his own music. I think Klingon music might work for Brett. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, maybe. That's good. New ringtone. Thank you, Katie. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, so we have got a jam-packed show today. Um, we're talking about a project that you guys have been working on. But before we get into that, uh, we do have some announcements and other things to cover. Um, app Camp for Girls released their new app. We should mention that since we're all big App Camp supporters here. Yeah, I got my email today. It says the App Camp 2017 uh, Quiz Compendium is out. Uh, and that's the app that they assemble from the projects all the girls do in App Camp every year. Uh, it's a great way to throw a few bucks at App Camp. It doesn't hurt too much and really helps support them. And I also think it really helps them get funding as they see how popular the app is. It helps them get funding from third parties. So uh, everybody, if you're feeling generous, go out and get the new App Camp for Girls Quiz Compendium. Well, and the girls are now published app developers. Because their their apps are out on the app stores. That's pretty amazing. The other um, just reminder I wanted to bring to people is, you know, we've got that Facebook group out there. And if you want to join, it's great. We've had a lot, ton of discussion, uh, especially since we've had some uh, releases here recently. People are very anxiously talking about the uh, iPhone 10, a lot of discussion about the iPhone 8, a lot of discussion about High Sierra. But um, remember that if you want to join that Facebook group to keep all the spammers at bay, we've got a couple of very simple challenge questions. And if you're listening to me, you know the answer to the challenge questions. You don't have to go look them up. Um, but just make sure that if you if you try to join the group, take a minute and answer the challenge questions, because if you don't, you're not going to get let in. And that's just to keep it safe and sane for everybody. And fi finally, I just wanted to say at the beginning, you know, we're heading into episode 400 and the celebration officially starts with episode 399. We've got a great guest coming in next week. And then episode 400, we've got some cool stuff planned as well. So uh, make sure you listen next couple of weeks, gang. We've got some cool stuff coming down the road. Awesome. Wow, I feel like chopped liver all of a sudden. Oh, man. Brett, you are always special. I won't take it personally. You are you are it's so fine. special. Everybody has a drink when you come on. We want to give you music. Yeah, No other guest has <laughs> Not music. Not special. The cause of alcoholism. Right. No other guest has music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, before we get into the main topic today, which is 60 More Tips, it's... um. I think we should do a quick check, and I know we have a feedback show, but we promised this last week. Uh, Katie Floyd, you have a cellular Apple Watch in your wrist right now, don't you? I do. I have a 38 millimeter stainless steel Apple Watch Series 3, and the stainless steel models only come in cellular. So that that is why I have a cellular Apple Watch model. Did you activate it? 
Well, I tried. I was not successful. Oh, yes. no. Were you on a kayak, like windsurfing? I think that's the only place it works. It might be the only place it works. I, I tried the day that they came out to activate them. I'm on a Verizon plan with other family members. And I, I, I think the issue might have been that I'm not the master member on the plan, although I do have full rights and privileges on the plan. The other issue is that it was um, it was day one, and I think everybody was trying to activate their Apple Watches, and there were a lot of reports of glitches, mainly with AT&T, but a few with Verizon as well. And so I tried a couple of times that day to activate my Apple Watch plan. I tried to jump through a few hoops. I couldn't get it activated. Um, I tried calling Verizon, but then after I waited on the phone for about 30 minutes, I decided that I had enough of that, and I just haven't gotten back around to trying it again. Uh, I was hoping we'd get some feedback on how they work. Uh, Siri works on a cellular connection. Well, the feedback I can give you is that the uh, the uh, sign up process did not go smoothly. I, I uh, a client of mine has one, and uh, so he was showing me it, and we were doing some races between my Series Two and his Series Three. Uh, Siri was faster on his. And I don't know if that was because it was hitting the cellular network or because of the faster processor speed. And it was probably a combination of both. But uh, it it is a nice upgrade, it looks like. I, I can tell you my general feedback. Keep in mind, I'm coming from the original Apple Watch, which we've now kind of retroactively dubbed the Series Zero Apple Watch. And day one, when I put the watch on, I was not that impressed because I, ha- I was wearing my Series Zero Apple Watch during the first part of the day, my um, Series 3 Apple Watch came around noon. I set it up over lunch, and then I switched over to the Series 3 Apple Watch, put my Series 0 away. I actually handed that down to my mom, and she's now been wearing the Apple Watch and has been really enjoying that. So that's been great. Um, and then I'll tell you, by like 3 or 4 o'clock, I had forgotten that I had a new Apple Watch because it looks identical to the old Apple Watch because, you know, where I sit most of the time, I can't see the little red dot on the bar. But, you know, for day-to-day practical use, it it seemed the same. And I was like, well, okay, maybe I really didn't need to upgrade after all. But the more that I use it, the happier I am that I upgraded. My biggest complaint about the Series Zero Apple Watch is that Siri would fail. I don't want to say half the time, but a good portion of the time Siri would fail. And I find that that is just happening a lot less often now. I did turn off the voice. I didn't want Siri talking to me. And you can change all of that in settings. But things just seem a whole lot snappier. I'll invoke Siri. I'll ask her to add something to reminders. I'll ask her to start a timer. I'll ask her to activate something that with HomeKit to open a garage door or to turn on a light. Those things all seem to happen fairly instantaneously where there was always a delay and always a wait to the point where it would sometimes time out and just not work at all on my Series Zero watch. So while it's not perfect, while there have still been some issues with with lags and bugginess, um, it has been significantly better, which is what I wanted it for. The other issue that I've seen is, especially with my Series Zero, which keep in mind is now over two years old, I was barely making it to the end of the day now, uh, particularly after the iOS or watchOS 4 update. I'd switched over to the Siri watch face, and I was noticing that about 9 o'clock, I was starting, after wearing it all day, I was starting to get that uh, 10% buzzer saying you, you now need to go into power reserve mode and would just barely make it to the charger at the end of the night. Um, now I put my Apple Watch on the charger, and generally I have 70 plus percent or more. Uh, juice left in the tank. So I don't know whether that's a combination of, you know, enhancements and improvements that they've made, a combination of it being a, a couple of days old watch versus a two-year-old watch. I think it's probably all of the above. Ding, ding, ding. 
They all degrade so quickly. Batteries. Especially the little ones in those watches. They're so tiny to begin with. All right. Well, we are going to go into this deeper in our feedback show. Uh, by then, Katie will have had more time to spend with one, and I'm going to spend more time with one between now and then, too, so we can talk more about um, you know, where the cutoff is, if it's worth it or not. But the um, And I will try again to activate the cellular connection this weekend. Good. Good. But today we're here to talk about something new and fancy that Brett and I did. Yeah. So uh, you guys, uh, a couple of years ago... Did a great session at Macworld, packed the house. I think the fire marshal finally came in and started dragging people out um, called 60 Tips. Uh, I likened it to a magic show. I had the privilege of being able to watch it. And you guys just got up on the stage. You had this pa- uh, presentation all planned out. And rapid fire session, you covered 60 tips in 60 minutes, uh, just ranging from all kinds of topics of little things that people may not know about and ways that they could use their computer more productively. Yeah, our pal Merlin Mann was in that, too. There were three of us, actually, that day. Merlin was in it as well. So I guess you you each had 20 tips each. And people just sat there, you know, jaw dropped. Some people were trying to take notes. Some people were just kind of watching. And that ultimately then turned into the 60 tips for MacBook. And, and when did you guys publish that originally? Five years ago. Wow. Okay. Hard to believe, right? It is hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, I know. When I started looking, when I wrote the foreword to the second one, it was on the exact same day, five years earlier, they were forward to the first one <laughs> without any planning. It was kind of crazy. Well, and as you've already alluded to, there is now a volume two of 60 tips. Yeah, it kind of. we talked about it on this show when Brett was on last that we've been threatening each other to do this together for a while. We, we had a, a list that we were growing and we finally said, OK, Brett, we're going to do this together. So um, we're happy to announce uh, you can now go onto the iBookstore or uh, to the streaming solutions we've set up and you can get this new book with 60 additional tips. And now we're up to 120 uh, tips to make you a Mac Pro. All new tips. Literally 60 more tips. So we're not recycling any of the old tips. It's all brand new. Okay. Yeah. In fact, we went back to the first book and we've got an update for that out too, which should be out by the time you hear this, uh, where we reshot. I think it ended up being about 20 of them uh, from the first book where things had changed or some of the old tips had become obsolete. So we just cut them and put new ones in. So there's even like um, some high Sierra stuff in the first book. So uh, we've got the old one updated and, uh, and 60 additional on top of it. It's been a busy month or two for me and Brett. Wow. Now, are these tips for Mac power users or these tips for complete novices? Who is who's going to get benefit from this book? I think we, um, you know, I guess we'd say beginner to expert, but I would say slightly farther advanced than the beginner. We don't do the real, real basic stuff. Um, but the, uh, but there is some stuff in there for, you know, like in middling or beginner middling stuff. That's good. And then there's some stuff in there. Like Brett did a couple that I wasn't even aware of. I had to watch him two or three times just to figure them out for myself. So, um, you know, we, uh, <laughs> I think we run the gamut just like the first book. We tried to put stuff in there for everybody. Well, and some of them, I, I there are things that I think should be like first day on a Mac kind of tips that, most people I meet who have been, you know, getting to know their Mac for a year, maybe even two, didn't realize were there. So I did try to, I tried to like include the tips that people that should know better seem to find most surprising. 
So you've mentioned watching this book, and I know we're going to get much later into the how this book was made and those types of things. But for someone who is not familiar with an iBooks author book, they might be a little surprised when you say, OK, I'm going to go buy a book and then I'm going to watch something. Yeah. The, uh, so the, the best way to do this, just like we did with the original session with Merlin so many years ago, is uh, you know, this is a visual medium, you know, learning how to do these tips. If we sat down and wrote five or six pages on each tip, it'd still be hard to understand. So what we did instead is we screencasted every one of them. So as you go through the book, there's an introduction explanation of what the tip is or the trick is. And then, uh, then we show you, it's just like when you buy the magic trick and then they take you in the back room and show you how it works. We do that with a screencast. So I've never seen how a magic trick works before. I'd like to do that. You should. Well, next time you come and you sleep on my couch and I take you to Disneyland, we're going to go to the magic shop and you can buy a trick and then they'll give you a lesson. We're going to do this for you, Katie. I don't think we have a magic shop at Disney World. Well, that's because, you know, the Disneyland is the best. And of course we have a magic shop. Okay. Anyway, um, so... So we're going to do this. Uh, so we decided, you know, kind of show you the trick. And so the video, so if, as you go through the book, it's an iBooks author book. So it's media rich. And frankly, this is, um, iBooks author has a limit of two gigabytes uh, for how much, and that's the biggest size book you can have. And iBooks author is two gigabytes. We are, we are there with a hair's breadth. <laughs> I mean, we, uh, like usually I do a video um, with, when I release a new book in iBooks Author, I do a book on like how to read this book because iBooks Author is such a different way to read a book. I like to kind of give a little demonstration of how you jumped through chapters and things. I couldn't do that in this book because we were like right up to the limit. And it's it's two hours of video um, and two gigabytes for all these trips. And so they, they the videos range from one minute to I think the longest one is eight or nine minutes, uh, depending on the complexity of the trick. And then as you go through the book, so you can just kind of swipe through the book and we've organized it into sections. So, for instance, we've got a whole section on Mac OS, and that's probably the biggest section with just general Mac OS tricks. But we also cover Spotlight, Siri, Automator, Terminal, Auto, you know, uh, Safari, and some of the other applications that everybody uses. So um, you go through, you pick a topic, you kind of swipe through and look for something interesting, and then you push the button. And if you're watching it in iBooks Author, then the video comes up either on your iPad, your Mac, or your iPhone, and you can just watch the video and, and, and learn the trick. So what about everybody? So you've got volume two, which is 60 new trip tips and tricks, which is totally different from volume one. What about all those people who bought volume one five years ago? Because a lot has changed in five years. Yeah. Like like I said earlier, we reshot about 20 of them. Some of the old ones are still there because they still work. Um, but where they needed updating, like for instance, a PDF, print to PDF is a, is a simple popular one where, uh, there's a keyboard shortcut. You can print a PDF very quickly. Um, and once you see how it works, it changes your game. And, but with high Sierra, Apple changed the command. So the trick that used to work up until a few days ago, no longer works. So we reshot that one to show you how to use it with the new high Sierra command. Um, so the, some got updated, some of them, like we had one on replacing icons that just doesn't work anymore. I mean, Apple has locked it down to such an extent that replacing icons really isn't something that you're going to do these days. So that one got cut and then we found something new to put in its place. And, uh, for the folks who bought it before it's free update. So you're good. If you just open up your iBooks author, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, it'll already be update will already be available and you can download it and watch the new tricks. Um, do I need to have High Sierra to be able to take advantage of this? Because some people are a little nervous about pulling that trigger. Uh, some of the tricks rely on High Sierra. 
So not all of them are going to work if you don't update, but um, most of them don't. Most of them are pretty standard stuff that, that would work with a prior version. And what do you guys think about High Sierra? We did a whole show on it yesterday. Some people are advising people not to upgrade. I, I don't know. You happy with it? Should we upgrade? Should people upgrade to High Sierra so they can take advantage of all the tips? It's been working for me, but I've been getting these text messages from Mr. Terpster lately that he's having trouble. Aside from the constant crashing, I'm loving it. I think there's something more going on than just the High Sierra upgrade. I've been debugging my system for a couple of days. But so if, if, if you want a, a nerdy explanation real quick, uh, High Sierra changes Ruby versions. And um, I had I had moved my user local folder out of user local. And uh, because when you upgrade Mac OS these days, if there's anything in there, it takes days instead of hours to, to install. So I had moved mine out, and when I moved it back, permissions got all weird and everything got screwy, and a lot of my system uh, relies on shell scripts, and I think that's what I borked. Brett wandered off into the wild. <laughs> that's the short version of the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went into he went into the land of dragons and now he doesn't understand why he keeps getting burned. <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the brand new version 3 of PDF Pen for iOS. Your PDF editor for the iPad and iPhone. I've said it before on the show but I spend a lot of time using PDFs and ever since the iPad Pro showed up it's really changed my workflow where I do PDFs on the iPad with the Apple Pencil. I like to read them, I like to annotate them, mark them up. It's just like using paper but better. My tool for this is PDF Pen from Smile Software. I like PDF Pen because it manages to include all of the features I really need without becoming overwhelming. It has a really nice user interface. Using PDF Pen on my iPad, I can draw, highlight, I can scribble and correct on text, I can fill out and sign forms, and I can even do some image management within the forms themselves. When I'm doing something that's secret, I can add a document password right in the application, giving me a level of encryption that protects me and my clients. Smile Software has been hard at work on PDF Pen, and they have just released version 3 for iPad and iPhone. This new version is great. It supports the iOS 11 files interface to import and export and organize your PDFs. This also gives you access from within the application to your iCloud Drive, Google Drive, Microsoft OneNote, and all the other files-compatible apps. This new version is iOS 11 friendly with features like drag and drop for text and images between PDF pages and other applications. And they added one more feature that I'm going to take complete credit for. They've updated the highlighting colors. I was never exactly happy with the highlight colors in PDF Pen. And I know that sounds silly, but when you spend so much time in the application as I do, that can be a big deal. So I wrote them and guess what? They updated the highlight colors. They look better now. And finally, if you have purchased PDF Pen version 2 for iOS, you're going to get the upgrade to PDF Pen version 3 absolutely free. If you want to get work done with PDFs on your iPad and iPhone, look no further than PDF Pen. Make sure to use the link in our show notes so they know you heard about it from us. And thank you, Smile Software, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So we've got a hundred and well, sixty new tips, and then sixty kind of revised tips that are are out there. Um, what do you do? You guys have some favorites? I mean, what what were kind of the themes you talked about while putting this book together? 
uh, in that they just range so far. Uh, I always like the one, you know, because I, I'm pretty familiar with the ones I record. My favorites are usually the ones that Brett does. Um, he did a cool one on, on hacking the dock with terminal commands. And, um, and I thought that was really cool, Brett. You'd actually did two on the dock. You did kind of a level one dock, uh, uh, screencast and you did a second one where you get, went really deep on making the dock do all kinds of weird stuff. I didn't even know it was possible. And, uh, that was one of my favorites, I think. Hey, thanks. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of am the same way. My favorites are, are mostly David's. Um, I think th- so I had attempted to do this in the past uh, when when Siri was first included with the Mac. I wanted to make, hey, Siri, sorry if anyone's phone just went off, um, activate it on my Mac. And I spent a long time playing with uh, dictation commands and I didn't get it to work. And then I saw a tip come in from David that was exactly that. And for some reason, I don't know if something changed in High Sierra. But now what I was originally trying to do works. And that tip was, it made my day. Yeah. So you can activate a Siri on your Mac with just your voice, which seems like you should have been able to do that from the beginning, right? I mean, that's the whole idea. But uh, yeah, this, so there's a trick showing you how to do that. You have to hit a keyboard key to talk to your computer? Come on. Yeah. The reason I wanted it visually is I wanted to be able to um, say it from across the room, you know, check the weather or play music without having to sit at my keyboard. I haven't found Siri super useful on the Mac. So might this be something that I might want to check out to see? There are a ton of Siri tips in this book that will change your mind. Okay. Actually, the process of making this book changed my mind about Siri. I, I kind of teased that on the show <laughs> a few weeks ago, but you did. I am. Um, I felt like, you know, cause I, I felt like Siri, I don't need that on my Mac. You know, I got my keyboard right in front of me, blah, blah, blah. I use the keyboard. Uh, but the, um, but I realized that there's a bunch of things I do with my keyboard that still take a long time. Um, uh, playing music is the most common one because I have these great playlists I put together in iTunes over the years, and I constantly uh, need music playing. I think it's partly because I have a little bit of tinnitus, and I think then I don't like to sit and listen to the ring in my ears all the time. So I want to have some kind of music playing. It quiets the voices in my head. There you go. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, Brad, but <laughs> anyway. Um, but, you know, uh, kicking off a playlist with your voice with Siri is faster than anything you can do with a keyboard and a mouse. It's just so much faster. And um, that's just one example. But we, we covered Siri uh, from uh, various different ways. The other thing I, I figured out is how to do date math with Siri, which just made me very happy as a lawyer. I always need to figure out what's 30 days after June 20th or whatever. So I... Uh, I nailed down all those commands as well. I spent a lot of time sitting here talking to my computer to see what would happen. That was fun. That is the most time-consuming part of doing these books is making sure the tip you have in mind works and then you go down rabbit holes of, oh, wait, can it do this instead? And your research process becomes two hours to make a what ends up being a four or five-minute video. Yeah, but then do you then come up with a couple of additional tips because you found other things? How do you think we get to 60? I know. That's what I was thinking. 60 new ones. That, was, that got to be a challenge <laughs> sometimes because we a couple of times we're like, oh, this would be a great tip. And then we'd be like, oh, yeah, we already did that one in the last book. <laughs> yeah, we had to cross-reference quite a bit. There was one tip that I thought was so good and I somehow didn't see that David had already recorded it. 
Um, and so I put an hour into looking at the built-in tools in High Sierra for optimizing disk storage and iCloud usage. Yeah, that was one of the first ones I did. <laughs> yes, I see. It, maybe it was so long ago <laughs> that I missed it, and I I finished it. The file name just ended up being fu.screenflow. <laughs> but that's a good tip. Like those tools are really cool. It is funny. And it's funny for me going back and looking at version one again, I had, sometimes you just lose track of some of these things. And I had gone back to doing things the hard way and a couple of things I had screencasted earlier and how to do easier. And so I had a little bit of a learning experience myself, just putting it all together. Well, don't you love it when you have a problem and you Google for the answer and you find a link back to yourself? Yeah, yeah that happens once in a while. I don't even bother. I just, I do a site search for my own site anytime I have a question because it turns out I've answered 90% of my own questions before. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> so are people going to be able to take advantage of this book who don't use a lot of third-party apps or or did you focus much on third-party apps or kind of what's the mix there? We, there ended up being one third-party tip in the whole book. Oh, wow. Okay. Everything else is native. Yeah, this is truly tips for people who just want to learn how to use the Mac. So really, anybody could use this. They don't have to be people who necessarily use, you know, kind of the apps that we always talk about. If they own a Mac, they already have everything they need. Any other particular tips or, or sections that, that you guys found very helpful or ones we want to make sure we check out first? Um, the Safari stuff got, I thought the Safari stuff came out pretty good. We did a bunch of stuff on some of the new features in Safari and, and picked those apart. Yeah, and the thing to know there is that everybody has the new Safari now, whether or not you've upgraded to High Sierra, because Safari version 11 was rolled out not only to Sierra, but I believe also to, oh gosh, what was the one? I, I want to, it's not Snow Leopard, it's not Mountain Lion. It's not Mountain Lion, no, the one right before High oh, Sierra. El Capitan, um, Yosemite. El Capitan, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe they, they rolled the Safari updates out two back, so. Even if you haven't upgraded to High Sierra, you can still, you should check your software update and get the new Safari 11 because that's going to include all of those built-in features like uh, cross-site tracking, blocking, and autoplay blocking and those things. I'm sure you guys covered some of that. One of my favorite um, uh, videos in it is one that I selfishly suggested to Brett. He, he, we, were, we were talking about different topics and I said, boy, Brett, I really think you should just do one on Activity Monitor. And he's like, well, that's, that's kind of basic. People know activity monitor and secretly, I didn't say to him at the time. I was thinking, no, what I want is Brett Terpstra to walk me through activity monitor and go to every setting and tell me what this, what the heck this means, first of all, and why I should care. And as soon as he put that video in, I think that one came out pretty long. That was over five minutes. I think I don't it remember was my longest that. video. Yeah. Yeah. But, but just getting a Brett Terpstra walkthrough of activity monitor, I learned so much just from that one video. So that's one of my favorites. Definitely. I feel weird mentioning one of my own, but I'm really excited to get the tip out there. It's about the proxy icon on document windows. Uh, so many people I talk to have no idea that you can, from the menu bar of any document, rename it, add tags, move it to a different place, see where it's located, all of these things just by clicking in the menu bar. You don't have to go to Finder or anything. So that one, I think a lot of people are going to like, and it it has become one of my favorite tips in the book. So anyway, we spent a lot of time putting this thing together, and we're really happy now that you can go get it if you want it. So do you guys want to talk at all about the process now of creating an ebook in 2017? I, David, you know, it's, you've done a bunch of these, but 
Man, it's kind of been a while. Yeah, I got, you know, I was really upset with myself because I, you know, I quit the job with the idea of getting more of these out. And of course, um, when you set up your own, you know, day job, it gets a little crazy. And uh, it's just been really difficult. And and I've got another um, iBook that I'm hot at work on. And that one will be out if, you know, knock on wood by the end of the year. But the, um, but it feels really good to get a book out because it's been over a year and I've been, yeah, you just, you're disappointed in yourself and I've been running at full speed and I couldn't, just couldn't seem to get one out. So I'm really happy this is out there, but, uh, and the year and a half since I've released a book, I've, my opinions about what to do with an iBook, uh, or an ebook distribution has changed quite a bit. Um, the first one I used to do these books, we would put it out like the first version of this book went out to iBooks. Um, with the, it was an iBooks author built media rich book in Apple's iBooks platform. And then we had a second version, what was a PDF version. And you'd go to a website, uh, you'd buy the book and then you'd get a, a zip file essentially sent to you that has the PDF of the book and all of the videos, a separate, um, uh, files. And since in the year and a half, since we've done that last, uh, everybody is starting to stream stuff. And, uh, a lot of customers are on iPads and iPhones. And saying, you know, sending them a two gigabyte zip file on an iPad is just going to make them angry. So um, I have transitioned out of the PDF business and um, no longer doing PDF distribution. This book is is not only is it an iBook, it's also a streaming video product. So if you don't want it in iBooks, you could just go and get the streaming video and each tip is there and it's laid out really nicely. I've done the same thing with like the OmniFocus video field guide and the Hazel video field guide. So if you've got either one of those, you'll know what I'm talking about. And we set it up in a way so customers can either stream it or download it if they want to just put it on their machine. Uh, there's no, you know, we're not trying to limit people's use of the stuff. But so this book is is different from the prior one in that you buy it as an iBook or as a streaming video product. And what are you using for the streaming video platform? Are you using Vimeo for that? Yeah, I've been using Vimeo so far. I've been really happy with them. They seem to take pretty good care. There's a couple of things as a publisher I don't like, uh, but overall it, it does great. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, Brett and I were just talking about this recently. In some ways, the Vimeo product is a better product than the iBooks product because uh, because of that two gigabyte limit in iBooks. I couldn't put 1080 video in the iBook because it would have been way too big. Um, uh, so the video format in the iBook is 720, which which still looks great, frankly, on your Mac or your iPad or your iPhone. So don't let that hold you back if that's the format you want. But if you get it on Vimeo, it's 1080. And um, uh, also we are getting closed captioning in it. I think about half of them have closed captioning now Um uh, we'll be updating the Vimeo videos as the rest of them come in. I've I've got people I'm paying to do that, and it's just they're just not frankly done yet. But as they get done, and well, probably within a month, all of them will be closed captioned, and uh, Vimeo supports that I think in a better way than iBooks does, at least as far as I've been able to tell so far. Now I know one of the benefits of people having you know buying the PDF or buying the iBook is that they have it; it's theirs. They can download it and keep it and refer to it later, and and that's that. Is that necessarily true if they don't have the iBook and if they go with the Vimeo version? Yeah, if you get the streaming version, it's streaming or download. Like you, when you go to Vimeo, there's a download button. So you can download all of them and make keep them close to your heart if that's what you need. So uh, either way, you get the you get the videos. We're not trying to make it difficult for customers. 
That's awesome. Yeah, That's you, awesome. you actually have a choice with Vimeo uh, as a publisher. You can say, just let them stream it or let them stream it for a limited amount of time or or the whole tamale, you know, give them the ability to stream it forever and the ability to download it. And that's the box I checked. Great. So people don't have to worry about losing their tips because a lot of these, as we found out, will still be good in five years. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable how many of them are. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Gazelle, your trusted online marketplace for buying and selling used electronics. So are you looking for the new iPhone this fall? Maybe an iPhone 8, maybe an iPhone 10? Well, Gazelle has you covered with not only affordable, generally used personal devices, but also the best value for your current phone. Now, they have a special offer lock that's happening right now, and it is what you need to make sure that you are confident in your decision on your iPhone. So head over to gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, to create a customized offer and lock in the value of your device today, because your device will never be worth more than it is right now. And while you're there getting an offer for your device, check out their huge inventory of iPhones, iPads, Samsung phones, and more. So Gazelle has a variety of devices for sale now. They're in good, fair, and excellent conditions. Good condition shows some gentle signs of wear and tear, but offers consumers great prices on great devices. And all of their devices have been put through a rigorous 30-point inspection process, ensuring they're all in perfect order and are supported by all the major carriers like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint. And if maybe you're looking to upgrade to a new device and you want to get rid of yours, they'll give you an online offer free of charge. Simply find your gadget, answer a few easy questions, and you'll get your instant price quote. And it is iPhone season, so Gazelle will be extending the standard 30-day trade-in period so you can decide which of the new phones suits you best without sacrificing the value of your current phones. And when it's time to get paid, payments are fast. You can either get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or direct deposit to your PayPal account. My mom just used Gazelle to get rid of a computer that was sitting in her closet. She couldn't give it away and now has over $300 in Amazon credit. She could not be more happy with that experience. So give new life to your used electronics, trade it in for cash, buy certified pre-owned, head over to gazelle.com today. And when you do, make sure you let them know that Mac Power Users sent you. So guys, obviously this is Mac Power Users, so it would not be an appropriate Mac Power Users episode if we did not talk a little bit about workflows. And as we alluded to in the earlier segment, it's been a little while since uh, you guys have, have put out a book, no judgment, but things have changed. And um, we've got new tools and new products out there. So let's talk a little bit about how you create a, a book or a video series and, and those types of things, you know, now in 2017. And I guess the first question I would have for you is, how do you figure out who's doing what? I mean, Brett already mentioned that there was, you know, one little hiccup where you kind of overlapped a little bit. But for the mo- if there was only one, that's pretty good. <laughs> and that was entirely my fault. After you record, you know, so many hours of video, you stop reading spreadsheets properly. But like <laughs> the the first the first tip list that we started was on Google Docs, and I immediately wanted to shift that over to my favorite app for uh, collaborative documents, uh, Quip. I think you hadn't been using Quip, had you, David? Uh, I have been wanting to use Quip, so I was looking for an excuse <laughs> to use it. I just didn't have any collaborators to work with it. Uh, uh, Katie won't let me do Mac Power Users on Quip. 
Yes, and I don't even know what quip is, so I've blocked it from my mind. <laughs> tell tell people what quip is. We talked about it, Katie. It's a uh, third. Now, it's, and it, and I just said no, we're not doing that, and moved on. Yeah, basically, <laughs> shut it down. But the uh, anyway, so quip is very similar to Google Docs and Google Spreadsheets, but it's made by somebody else, and it's not Google, but it it uh, <laughs> you know, it's they, far they got simplified. Yeah, they they got purchased recently. If memory serves, I should look that up while we're talking about it. But the uh, uh, it, it is, I think, a better user interface. I mean, I, you know, Google Docs and Google Spreadsheets is a great service, and that you know, it's simultaneous editing. It's very good at it. But man, it looks like it looks terrible. And on iOS, it's like it's almost like they passively aggressively don't want it to be good on iOS. Super hard to use on those two platforms. So, so Quip is a, an alternative, and it works. It's very fast. I mean, in turn, you know, the one thing we always like about Google Docs, if if Brett and I are in a document at the same time, or in this case, we even had more people than just Brett and I with access to this document, people can check boxes and add fields and do things, and it shows up right away. And there was never ever a syncing problem or lost data or any kind of problem like that. Fair enough. Is that a good summary, Brett? I would add that in addition to its spreadsheet features, it has an editor that is, it's it lets you um, change things in block format. So you can like set up, set a block to a paragraph or a headline or a block quote. And then when you want to copy it out, you have the option to copy it out as markdown in addition to all of the other export options. And they have a super easy API for importing and exporting Markdown documents. So it makes it really easy to collaborate on a text document, like a Markdown document on your computer with a little bit of scripting. You can make it collaborative and then export back to you, which is, uh, to me, that is kind of a big selling point for it. It's why it's why I became a dedicated user. Yeah, it got purchased by Salesforce recently. That's what got everybody a little worried about it, you know, whenever these independent companies get absorbed. But I, it, it's worked fine throughout this whole process for me. What what are you using Quip for, Brett, other than making a 60 tips book with nerdy sparks? So I have uh, household uh, to-do lists and, and accounting sets um, for various, like, pet food purchasing and all of my uh, like systematic show notes and stuff that I need to share with guests go in there. Um, I people I've I've moved people over it who want me to do edit editing and uh, proofreading on their stuff. They just put it in Quip and I add my comments and changes there. And it has full like history and revision review and everything. How hard is it to share a Quip document with somebody who is not a Quip user? Generally, the people you want to share them with are Google Docs users. And all you need to log into Quip is your Google ID. It uses Google for authentication. So, and it's free. So all they have to do is sign in through Google and they're collaborating. Katie, please. Can we try it? Come on. <laughs> you know I'll you think want. about it. Because that was the hang up for us when, uh, and she had made a good argument when I wanted to do it earlier. She said, well, all our guests are not in Quip, they're in Google, they're in Google, and they're not going to want to do a new system. But if, if it's easy to make anybody we send a link to, to get into a Quip document, uh, 
because they are they are easier. They they do look better, and their iOS app is far superior, in my opinion, to the Google Docs and Google Sheets. And they have a native uh, Mac app as well. I mean, it's a web wrapper, but it adds all of the standard key keys to it and everything. It, it's a nice it's a nice interface if you want cloud sharing uh, documents or spreadsheets. I don't do they do anything other than documents and spreadsheets? I think that's it, right? That's it. And you can embed spreadsheets in documents, but it doesn't have any like presentation mode or anything. I never really understood the idea of Google's presentation stuff. It just, I mean, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I better stop talking. But the, uh, uh, but Quip was a great tool for this project. So we, like I said, we started with a Google Doc. Then, then Brett uh, got me into Quip. And we converted it into a spreadsheet. And so throughout this whole project, we both had probably a tab in Safari with with the Quip spreadsheet in it. It's kind of funny how that evolved. That spreadsheet definitely evolved. So the spreadsheet was how you kept track of who was doing what. But did you have any collaboration on ideas? Did you guys sit down and say, well, these are kind of the broad topics we should discuss or someone had an idea and you said, oh, yeah, let's expand on that. How did how did you figure out kind of broad topics of what you're going to talk about? OK, I have a pet theory here. I need Brett. I need you to publicly confirm or deny Brett. <laughs> OK, so so Brett is a guy who would send me text messages and he'd write stuff in the Quip database. And whenever I was working and I could see that Brett was at the same time working within the document, I would always text him and say, can you talk, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, to me, I think getting on the phone for stuff like this is super helpful and fast. And and towards the end of it, uh, Brett would text me something and say, uh, we can do this. And I'm guessing you're going to want to talk right now. <laughs> Did I drive you nuts, Brett? Oh, I am not a phone person. And if I am going to talk on the phone, I prefer it on Skype because as a podcaster, call recorder can just record it and I can reference it later. You should have told me that. I couldn't <laughs> talk to you on Skype. I just pick up the phone. I, I like Siri. Hey, Siri, call Brett Terpstra. And then, oh. Well, I started, um, I started when you would call, I would just walk outside and get myself some sunshine because I've had a lack of that as we've been finishing up this book. So I made it worthwhile. So I may have been saving your life is what you're saying. You could very well, if not my life, my sanity. Yeah, I, I was clueless to it until towards the end of the project. And I realized I don't think Brett wants me calling him as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> I like to talk to people once a week for about an hour. That's a podcast. I Yeah. <laughs> I think I think even now that we've released the book, I think you and I need to just talk to each other regularly, Brett. I want to get you out in the sunshine. <laughs> or, or I was going to say you've had enough for a while and now you've had your quota for five years. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm developing a taste for it. <laughs> so, but we would talk or we would text message and um, we did not use uh, Slack or anything like that because it was mainly the two of us. And uh, it seemed like that was a little overkill. And so we were able to kind of communicate with that. But then the other way we communicate throughout the process is this Quip spreadsheet would grow. I mean, when it started out, it had the name of the tip, the subject, like whether it's a Siri tip or a Mac OS tip or a terminal tip. So we had kind of a broad category, the specific name of the tip and the person that was going to do it. And it started with three fields. And over time, that grew substantially, you know. 
uh, we added a field for the description because like in these books, we have written descriptions. So we just started writing the descriptions in the spreadsheet. So as we got into post-production, we had a place to go to to get that text. And then we had all these check boxes that started showing up. You know, is the is the screencast done? Has the text been proofread? Has the closed captioning been done? Has You know, we've got all these different things. And I, I started bringing in some other people to help us actually with some of the post-production. So having spreadsheets to track where things are was really helpful. Um, the other thing that we were doing is at the same time, we were, as we were finishing videos, we were getting them into an iBooks author file, which was like a, you know, a 720 resolution. It's, it's a completely different video, the video that you get on um, Vimeo versus in the iBooks author. So we had to track essentially two sets of, of uh, video products and get them into the right sources and keep track of which ones had been done and which ones hadn't been done. Um, the first time I finished the Vimeo upload, I noticed there were 65 videos. I'm like, well, that's not good. So apparently we had doubled a couple of them along the way. Um, so this, the spreadsheet was really a great resource for kind of keeping track of that stuff as we went through the whole project. And it was interesting how it evolved through the project. Now, you guys were each recording your own separate screencasts. You were consulting with each other, but you were all doing your own how did you make sure that there was a consistent look and feel and just that the technicalities were consistent with them? Planning ahead. We we had a we had a, a, a good phone based meeting about what the uh the donut, the intro and outro should be across everyone, and it was put in my hands. You pick a font. <laughs> you pick and then uh it kind of happened that we determined that each section should have its own color scheme so i designed uh the same desktop background in seven or eight different colors so that uh the intro and the background of the entire screencast would uh kind of correlate with its section you know siri or mac os or safari um and yeah, I guess we, we knew enough at the beginning to plan those things ahead. And then David, actually, I it, it was an experiment and delegation for him, but I think he delegated the uh, the intro and outro production. Yeah, some of it. My, my daughter is very good at video editing. I mean, she studied in school and she still does some of it freelance. So I hired her and, um, she did the, the intro and the outro and the audio balance on all of the screencasts that came in, at least most of them towards the end. I did some of them cause you know, we just, we were tight on deadline, but the, um, but so we had kind of help with that part of the post-production. And then also I, I've got another person that I'm doing the closed captioning with, uh, and we're doing that right in, um, ScreenFlow, because that's a that's a tool available to you now in ScreenFlow, and that raised some problems, uh, frankly, because ScreenFlow, uh, the way we shot the videos, and maybe I should talk about that when we get to the ScreenFlow segment. But we did something kind of unique with the way we shot the videos. I'm really happy with the way it came out. But when anybody touches a file, it's very easy to screw it up because of the zooms and pans we did. So uh, we had a couple problems with that along the way, but but we got it sorted out and. Um, and the closed caption is coming along pretty nicely. Now we did a whole show. Well, not quite a whole show, but most of a whole show on um, ScreenFlow. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to it, but it was when we had our good friend JF on and he talked a lot about ScreenFlow and, and tips and tricks. I think there has been a new version of ScreenFlow since that show came out. Has Have there been any significant changes that you took advantage of? Yeah. Version seven is out 
And and it, frankly, JF inspired me a little bit in that episode. He was talking about shooting higher resolution screencasts. Um, traditionally, I shoot most screencasts 1280 by 720. And and the reason for that is when you stream it over the internet, it's not too much data and it still looks pretty good on an Apple TV. But, you know, it limits you when you, when you, that's a pretty small resolution given what modern computers are. So uh, in this video, in this, this is the first time I've ever done this in this uh, screencast series. And this is the way I'm going to be doing it from now on now that I've done this test is uh, we shoot everything full screen uh, with the full native resolution of the Mac. And then once we got it into the screen flow, we set the resolution, the, the, the window of the screen to uh, 1080 to, uh, you know, um, so we've got a 1080 uh, block there on the screen, which is actually smaller than the actual block that you've recorded. And then we can shrink down the screen to fit in 1080 and it doesn't lose any resolution because there's so many pixels at this point, it just doesn't show. But there's also so much data there because we shot it in native resolution that we can do zooms in that don't look at all pixelated. You know, if anything, we're rarely up to 100% screen in these. So the um, where traditionally, if you shoot in 1280 by 720, when you zoom in, it looks pixelated and kind of gross. Uh, we tried this with these videos and, and Brett, I thought it came out great. Did you, what was your opinion of, of doing that? I, I, I have always done it that way. Um, and as screen resolutions have improved, it has only become, I, the, the amount of data that ScreenFlow records anyway is kind of insane. Uh, like the just the ability to zoom in and change mouse cursors and everything has always been pretty amazing. But yeah, as like I was recording most of mine on a Thunderbolt display, some on our Retina MacBook Pro. And yeah, once you cut this, the document settings down to 1080, you have you can zoom off a long way before you get any pixelation and artifacts out of it. I, I wish, you know, I wish time was unlimited and I could go back and reshoot all of the uh, volume one, because when you see the new <laughs> ones versus the old ones, you can see that they do look better now. But, you know, I guess that's just the, the tale of time. But uh, ScreenFlow has come a long way, as always. I mean, like I said, now they have closed captioning tools built in and and the software has got advanced enough that you can do like a native resolution shoot with some very nice, uh, carefully planned pans and zooms. Uh, so the user uh, or the person watching knows exactly what's going on. They don't get lost in the screen. And it comes, it comes out really nice. So are we officially in the screen flow section now? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I think we are. Um, I got to say, there are like, I think seven is the latest. Yeah. Uh, there are features that may have existed for a long time that I'm just discovering in the process of doing this book. Uh, snapback actions. Did you know about this? Yeah. I didn't. I have always, I've always added an action down the line a ways before I add a new action as if I were, you know, setting up keyframes and then make my change. And then that future action will automatically, you know, restore to where I was with the snapback. I can just hit command option K and it'll go back to whatever it was before the last action. That's awesome. Because that's literally something I do every time I add a zoom action in. I need to snap back. When did that? When did that begin existing? Don't tell me it's always been there. 
I found out about that after talking to JF. So I'm not sure. It may have been there longer than I was aware of it. But yeah, like you. Or when you do, we didn't use that so much in this because we didn't do iOS apps in this book, but putting touch events on an iOS screencast, snapback actions are like the answer. <laughs> I mean, because for so long, it was the same thing. I had to reset every one that I put in and now you don't have well, to do that anymore. And now you can, um, you can set action settings as default. So uh, when you set your build, like when you're inserting, uh, uh, say, a text annotation, and normally I would have to go in every time and set a 0.5 second in and out build on it, uh, like fade. And now you can just set that as default and it sticks. I know for a fact that did not used to be the case, at least before six. Another thing that I believe it came in with six that was a super useful to me when I'm dealing with, you know, because the way the workflow worked on this job, when the videos were done, they were on my end, the screencasts were done on my end. So now I've got to export 60 videos and they have a batch export export tool now. And I had very particular settings to get the videos to the right sizes to fit in the various platforms. And the batch export feature saved me just tons of time. Uh, so now you can, in ScreenFlow, just click batch export and pick all the videos, that, all the screencasts that you want to export to video. And you do it in one step. And then the computer just grinds through it for a while. And you've got a bunch of videos as opposed to helping each individual one and then going through and exporting them each individually. I think I need to go back to the release notes for six and seven and catch up on all this new stuff. Yeah. I probably should have done that before recording. Yeah, that, it probably would have made sense. <laughs> <laughs> so we did we did a lot of work in ScreenFlow, getting this book together, both of us. And um, then you had two different versions that you had to export. You have the iBook author version, and then you have the ones that go to Vimeo. Yeah. Um, the iBook's author version has some additional content in it because it's got all the text surrounding it, right? Yeah. But we, we tried to uh, describe basically the videos. If you watch the videos, you get enough background that you don't you don't need the text. And then uh, because of the Vimeo platform, you actually do a description for each video that you have in the package of 60. So then we were able to use the same text that started in that spreadsheet um, that now is a descriptive text in the iBooks author book. And it's a descriptive text on the Vimeo website or the Vimeo distribution platform when you get the video. So you can read the text and download it. So it, it all worked out great. Um, the trick there for uh, getting that set up, though, was getting the, uh, you know, the the higher uh, fidelity rendered video up to Vimeo. It's it just, I mean, the, the, the videos are substantially, going from 720 to 1080, I know this is obvious to a lot of people, but, you know, the video size is significantly larger. So... I got an email from my uh, my cable uh, company saying I went over my limit this month. <laughs> and I think it's because I uploaded so many videos. Well, and you not only had to upload the videos to the various providers, but you had to share the videos with each other. How did you guys do that? Um, we uh, did a Dropbox folder. Oh, see, I thought David was all out of Dropbox now. I thought you were Mr. iCloud. I am almost all out of Dropbox. Uh, sharing is the one thing that I haven't really done it, um, gone full you know, full Monty on yet. And, and part of that is because the people I work with so often are on Dropbox. I don't want to try and, and reinvent the wheel with somebody that's already got something that's working for them. But basically my Dropbox at this point is a group of shared folders. What size iCloud account do you pay for, Dave? I have a two terabyte. Um, and 
and we share it with our family. You know, the sharing thing just came out with Mac OS High Sierra. And um, so we're setting that up and I think we're going to be fine with one two terabyte account. If if I were going to leave Dropbox, I would need that two terabyte. Right now, I think I have a 500 gigabyte iCloud drive plan. I don't it, like I just so much of my so much of my environment is still invested in Dropbox. I, I just haven't had a reason to give up yet. Yeah, I think I kind of did it as a parlor trick to start out with, but I'm really starting to like it. Um, I There's some sharing features in High Sierra. I, I mean, I think Dropbox is superior in some ways. It's a little faster, but not that much faster in my experience. Uh, but one of the things I like is my laptop has limited SSD storage on it. And with um, with with Mac OS, you can click the box to say, you know, figure out my storage space with iCloud. And it doesn't keep everything on the laptop, but there's always room on the laptop, if that makes sense. And I can see everything, which is really kind of nice. So if you do you do the um, desktop and documents in iCloud? Yeah, I did. I went all the way, except on the iMac. I don't have that thing where you store every where you uh, manage it for me. I forget the the phrase. In fact, I think I did a screencast on it. But the uh, um, there's there's some language they use basic saying, just trust us, just like with photos library, we'll <laughs> give you what you need. So how long if a document on your desktop is stored in iCloud, how long extra does it take to open it? If it's not there, as long as it takes to download it. Okay, so it can be notable. It can be non-trivial. Yeah, like for instance, I just had a. Um, I needed to send my um, my workflow video field guide to a customer that had a problem. I was just going to send them the file, and um, and I looked. I was on my laptop and I looked, and the file wasn't downloaded because I I hadn't accessed this file in ages on my laptop. So uh, iCloud figured at some point, okay, take that off. So, um, so I wasn't able to like email it as an attachment because it wasn't downloaded. So I had to do a sharing link instead. But the um, uh, it it. But if you have storage issues on a laptop, that's one reason to consider. I think I think we're going to do a show on cloud storage, probably in the next couple of months because this stuff has changed a lot since the last time we covered it. But but in this case, I I still have I paid for Dropbox and I'm still within my year. I don't know what I'm going to do when the year is up because the only thing I'm really using it now for is the shared folders. And I'm just going to figure out if I can get around that and, and just dump it all together or if I need to keep it around at some level. But for this project, uh, one of the first things we did was we set up a shared Dropbox folder. And like Brett was talking about, he had um, created these background images. So when we shot a screencast about Siri, uh, the background is, I think it's blue for Siri if memory serves. So that we have a blue desktop behind it. And so visually the the person watching it can kind of know where they're at and brett put all that stuff in dropbox so then when we did post-production we would just go to that folder in dropbox and and pull out that background image for titling and other stuff we did related to post-production this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by jamf now manage your apple devices from anywhere get your first three devices for free whether you're running a small business or a big business or even just a household, managing your Apple devices is something that is within your grasp now. It used to be a big deal. You used to have to hire special people and get expensive software, but not anymore with Jamf. 
With Jamf now, you can manage your Apple devices from anywhere. When you first start your business, it's pretty easy to keep track of your computer and your phone. But as you grow and start to buy more tech for your employees, it gets harder to keep track of everyone's Macs, iPhones, and iPads. And if that's not enough, then try to figure out how to secure an iPad that your sales rep just lost. Or the iPhone that your delivery guy just dropped in a restaurant somewhere and can't remember where it's at. This is all really difficult, especially when you're all in different locations. Jamf now makes this, and a whole lot more, much easier. Using Jamf, you can configure settings, protect sensitive information, and even lock or wipe a device from absolutely anywhere. Jamf now secures your stuff, so you can focus on your business instead. There's no IT expertise needed, and I want to emphasize that. You don't have to be a super geeky IT person to implement this in your company today. So don't let this device management problem go unanswered in your work any longer. Head over to jamf.com, that's J-A-M-F, slash M-P-U, and set up your own free account today. And because you listen to the show, you'll be able to start securing your business immediately by registering your first three devices for free. Once you figure out how easy it is, it's very easy to expand, just two bucks a month per device. Since we started doing the spots, we've heard from a few of our listeners who run small businesses, and now they've got all of their devices managed through Jamf. They're very happy. You should try it too. So head over to jamfjamf.com slash MPU and get started today with that free trial of three devices. My thanks again to Jamf for supporting the Mac Power users. It's been a while since you've been an iBooks author, and I know the last time you were there, you were kind of testing the, the limits of that application with some of the things you were doing. Uh, have there been any significant changes to iBooks Author since the last time you used it? It really hasn't changed much, sadly. And we definitely found the limits. <laughs> two, two gigabyte cap. I, I think that's new. I, I'll have to go back. I think some of the books I've released before were bigger than two gigabytes, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but I got a, a warning message towards the end every time I did anything in that file. Hey, Dave, you are almost out of space with this book. What are you going to do about it? And um, and fortunately, I didn't have to uh, fiddle with the fidelity of any of the videos. I was still able to get the quality I wanted in the videos because we just, you know, if we had 61 tips, we would have had a problem. <laughs> but, but it was 60, <laughs> it worked. And um, uh, 60 I, tips, a.k.a. The most you can get in an iBook. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, uh, I In past years, I had a lot of stability problems with iBooks Author, where towards the end, when you start loading all the video into the files and you've got a massive file, I don't know if there was a memory leak or, or what the problem was, but it, it would frequently crash on me uh, to the extent that when I was working in iBooks Author on some of the, the prior books, Towards the end, I would go and make an edit. I would change one word in it, and then I would command S save. I make everything I did, I would save, because it was just a question of time before it crashed. And uh, on this book, I never had any um, uh, out-and-out crash of the application. Sometimes it took a while, and it had to spin the wheel and grind for a while as it was saving or rendering, but it never crashed on me. That's the first time I've ever used the application without that happening. So I got to ask, what kind of machine were you working on for this? Uh, I was, I'm working on a, a relatively new iMac. I think it's a couple of years old and the, um, and it, it, it cranks, you know, it's, it's a good machine. How much RAM? Lots. Uh, I'll have to go look. <laughs> I think it's 32. I don't even remember. I filled it up when I bought it. Okay. Cause I would open our shared iBooks file and I absolutely dealt with crashes and constant command S. So it must, maybe it's RAM. 
I have a lot of complaints about iBook Author, actually. But I won't. I won't. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about it for a few minutes because I, I feel like this is a great platform that Apple's made. I mean, the, this book that we made, I don't think we could have made it for any other platform than iBooks Author. The you know the look of it, we we controlled every word, the placement of every word. I mean, we had absolute control over the layout of this book. I think it looks gorgeous, and like I don't think you could do that with a standard just ebook file. Um, but and I and I do love that part. But, but there's, a, you know, the issue is like, even just like the layout of that, it, it reminds me of the way pages looked like five years ago. Exactly. It, it never moved on, you know? <laughs> That's the thing. I have constantly wished that iBooks author would just catch up with pages. If, if iBooks author was as smooth to use and it was easy, as easy to flow text boxes and everything as it is currently in pages, I would find it a lot better platform but it's not especially if you and and like we, i think we are our books are confined to uh landscape view is that right no uh this one uh i i turned the button so you can if you want it and to change the size of the typography like if you have issues reading text you want the text bigger you can push a button and it puts everything vertical and you can have a lot more control over the font and the size but but it's really meant to be read landscape view that's yeah see the the ones that i've designed that were were flexible like when you turn your ipad it shifts to a portrait mode that the text layout options have gotten it's it's not to me like i mean it would be great if it were like indesign but even if it were just like pages i would be way happier and honestly i don't think it was ever designed to work with a two gigabyte file and and a lot of the issues I was running into were because I had a two gigabyte file loaded. Um, but yeah, even in even when I've done just straight up text iBook author files, it's not been the greatest app to work in. And I agree, the format, like the platform itself, I love. And that's probably the reason that I find the author app a little disappointing. But that said, yeah, it is it's kind of an amazing platform for ebook creation. I mean, the product it makes is beautiful, but man, it's it's like a sausage factory. Sometimes you don't want to know how it's made uh, getting it out of there. And uh, so I, I found this one a better experience than in the past, but it's because I've upgraded my iMac since the last time I made one. Maybe that's what it comes down to. To be fair, I'm doing this on a Retina MacBook Pro with 16 gigabytes of RAM. But I'm also like, like I said, right now, everything is crashing for me. Yeah, so. that's true as well. We're lucky Skype has lasted this long right now. <laughs> I, uh, one thing that happened to me while I was making the book, you know, towards the end, things get crazy. Like my iMac is cranking my, uh, you can hear the fans in the next room. Cause I'm like rendering, I'm doing like a batch render out of, of, of screen flow. I've got iBooks author cranking. I I'm, I'm using all the ones and zeros in my computer. And, uh, you want to do this now while we're recording a podcast? Yeah. Why not? You know? Oh, wonderful. Okay. What are you talking about, Katie? <laughs> I don't know I'm just saying, I don't want to lose our podcast. You know, D- David's machine just chooses this moment to crash. There's no Mac power users next week. No, I'm just, I'm not doing it right now. I'm talking about when I'm getting towards the end of production on one of these books. So, Oh, I gotcha. Okay. A couple of days ago, I had all this stuff going on and I, um, and I decided, well, you know what, you know, I, my computer is very busy right now, so I'm going to go down and make a sandwich. So I go down 
it, you know, I, I didn't have any lights on because it was the afternoon and I'm making myself a sandwich and I'm sitting there eating it. And suddenly my whole house starts making noises. You know, when you're a nerd, how like when everything turns back on, like, you know, the uh, Amazon Echo starts making noises and uh, some of the Internet of Things stuff in your house makes noises. All of a sudden, all the stuff in my house makes noises like they just got turned on. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, we had a power outage. And I didn't even realize it because I was sitting there eating a sandwich, not using any electricity. <laughs> right. So um, and so I, I, I'm like, oh, so I go upstairs just to see what because I'm sure it's a hot mess because I'm in the middle of this massive render out of um out of screen flow and I've got iBooks author working at the same time. I'm like, oh, what did it just do to my files? You know, when everything shut down and I get upstairs and the render is continuing and finishing up and everything's working fine, but I've got a message on my screen that one of my external drives was disconnected, which is the one I didn't have plugged into the UPS. So, um, so the, uh, uh, and all these years I've been, I've been moaning on the show how I don't need a UPS and there's no reason for it. And I finally bought one like two months ago. And uh, so I guess I'm going to eat some tasty crow. That's all I'm going to say. Mm, My Mac yeah. just, just worked right through it off the battery. No problem. Could say I told you so, but... When I have a power outage, my whole house beeps because everything is on UPS. And as soon as they lose power, they give you a warning beep. And then you have your like 30 minutes to save and disconnect everything. So, yeah, I always know. I always know when there's a power outage, even if I'm out on the front porch, but the whole house just beep, 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 beep. I think this was like a five minute power outage. I think it was very short, but my wife got home and she had gone to Target and she says, you never guess what happened. Target was completely dark. The whole thing shut down for like five minutes. I'm like, it must've just been a community uh, power outage. And uh, was there a, an, a lot of looting? Uh, no, not here <laughs> in Southern California. People were uh, offering <laughs> granola to each other and, um, <laughs> and they would hold hands and sing songs in the dark, but there was no looting. <laughs> <laughs> and tell each other everything's going to be fine. Yes. yes. Looting of bad karma, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, what was the other thing? Oh, and I bought two of them. So I put one on the, um, in the closet with all of my like routers and Eros and everything. So I guess the internet stayed up as well. I, I'm anyway, but the, uh, but I, I, as soon as I said that, I, I can't wait to tell Katie so she can say, I told you so. <laughs> For a long time. But I'm glad you didn't lose any of your work. That's what they're there for. I will also say, to that effect, multiple times during the creation of this uh, book, I had major crashes or even like complete system crashes. And the autosave features in macOS, probably since Mavericks, but definitely since El Capitan and the Sierras, have been amazing. Like things that I would have assumed normally I would have just lost an hour of work that would have just disappeared. It's always right there. Always like to the last change I made. I'm I've been really impressed with autosave in general. Yeah. And that was true in iBooks author and ScreenFlow and I think just everything else we worked in. I will say ScreenFlow has a couple of quirks that anyone using it should be aware of if you go full screen if you like take an app into full screen mode or even if you just switch desktops it can cause glitches and the rest of the video can be ruined i think that's a bug with the newest high sierra stuff because not only the video doesn't just get ruined it just shuts down and and dumps the video file out of memory it's like 
it is uh, extreme prejudice if you switch screen. Oh, I fin- I finished one. I finished. Uh, I, w- I had recorded for fifteen minutes, and I had gone full screen about seven minutes in, and it saved it. But then the last eight minutes of it was just this like weird um, predator cam, <laughs> eight bit looking. I it was yeah. Also, if I recorded it on my retina display and then edit it on my like uh thunderbolt display it would always be messed up until i dragged it back over to my retina display yeah so that that crash you were talking about earlier i had not going from not going to full screen uh but i would have that crash if i switched between screens like spaces if you switch to the next space yeah that's what i meant when i said switch desktops and every time i did it it just dumped everything i never recovered anything i recorded before that so uh, once i realized that was a bug that existed um in fact if you watch the videos carefully you may be able to catch it i'd say okay now let's go look at the next screen and and then i would stop the recording and then i would start the recording again in the next space and i tried to do it in a way that looked like you saw the transition, but you really didn't. Yeah, I, I just disabled spaces while I was recording because I have so many better touch tool gestures that could maybe accidentally switch faces. I guess we're kind of in the weeds now, aren't we? <laughs> maybe, but I feel like it's important to be honest. That said, ScreenFlow is amazing. Like, honestly, like after doing, I, I use ScreenFlow a lot to begin with, but doing 30 videos, my half of the book, pretty back to back here. I've come to really appreciate how amazing ScreenFlow is. I get a lot of emails from people that see the the video stuff I do, whether it's the video field guides or sometimes I do it for companies and they always want to know what's the tools that you use. And there really aren't that many. It's uh, when I first started doing this, and Katie, you may remember, what was that one we used? It was, it, it just shot video, but didn't do any audio. And then you had to take it out into Final Cut. And there, there was like eight different, tools you use to, to create a screencast and now almost all of it gets done in ScreenFlow. they do transitions they do jump cuts they do i mean whatever it is you need to do it it works i even i like editing in ScreenFlow better than i've ever liked editing in after effects or motion or premiere or final cut like editing in ScreenFlow. once i i set up uh shortcuts on my little shuttle express and doing quick in out ripple deletes and setting up fades and stuff. I can do so super fast and super easy. It's like the equivalent of working in GarageBand versus working in logic, except with all of the power that you need. Although I will say GarageBand is pretty amazing these days too. Talk about your shuttle express for a minute. Cause I, I actually bought one throughout the process and returned it. I, it didn't work for me, but tell everybody what it is. And I, I will assume, well, actually I won't. So a jog shuttle is a is a input device used in video editing where the jog is a kind of a click wheel and the shuttle is a spring-loaded dial around the outside of the jog. And so you can get this as the express version. You can get there they have like the shuttle pro and everything, but the little express version is like a little hockey puck, little round thing that sits next to your trackpad or your keyboard, depending on which hand is dominant for you. And it has five buttons, two large ones on the left and right and three in the middle. And all of them are assignable. It comes with a driver that runs up in the menu bar. 
and you can have each button do something different and you can have each. So like the shuttle, which as you twist it, it increases the zone like zone one, two, three, one through eight, and then uh, snaps back to the middle when you let it go. And you can assign uh, functions to going from zero to one and one to two and three to four and eight to seven and six, seven to six. And you can change the way it behaves for each application. And then you can control what left and right does on the jog wheel. So it comes with a bunch of presets, but I set it up for screen flow so that the, the jog will take me frame by frame through a screencast and the shuttle will increasingly fast forward and rewind through it the further I twist it. And then I can set in and out with the left and right buttons. And then I can ripple delete and play and pause and stop with the other three buttons. And it makes editing. I don't like I, I, I went to art school and I video editing was something I did a lot and I've done a lot since then. And jog shuttle is just kind of a, natural thing for me so it works really well i like this and you can get them pretty cheap now too they're kind of outdated this in the uh the power mate that's on the other side the wired power mate on the other side of my keyboard yeah all right we're gonna talk about that in a second too but so, so the contour shuttle express is about 60 bucks on amazon the um the contour shuttle pro is 100 and uh, don McAllister was swearing by the shuttle Pro. I read an article he wrote about it. Or I saw somewhere where he was loving it. So as we got started in this project, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to spoil myself. And I ordered a Shuttle Pro and I started using it. And the thing I found is it wasn't making much difference for me because I've got so adept to using the keyboard with um with with ScreenFlow. I mean, I don't even know what the keyboard shortcuts are, but I just put my hand there and they happen, if that makes sense. Oh, sure. Muscle memory. So I didn't, I felt like this isn't the time to learn it. So I sent it back and I'm like, okay, I'll have to try this again sometime. But it wasn't, it wasn't a great experience for me. Like getting it set up with ScreenFlow was taking a lot of time and, and the preferences weren't sticking for me. Maybe the problem was I got the Pro instead of the, the Express. I don't know. That I can't speak to, but I can say it, you, you do have to have the drive to get it all set up right and a whole evening to spend <laughs> making sure everything's working. But once I, I mean, I, I initially set this up uh, probably a couple years ago. Uh, actually, yeah, probably four years ago, I set this up and uh, and I have continued to use it. ScreenFlow 7 has like really customizable shortcuts now. But I have developed muscle memory on the shuttle instead of on ScreenFlow in the keyboard. Uh, so that's been kind of the way I've continued to use it. David, you made a mention a little bit earlier that you were starting to bring in some help for editing. And I know this is a topic that you and I have talked about before, you know, starting to outsource things to people and probably something you and I both need to do more. And it sounds like you started to do that on this project. Uh, it's it's working out okay. It's it's this is a limited kind of run of this because the the actual edits like if you talk to and we're going to have Don on the show at some point from Don McAllister from Screencast Online. He has really got a lot of people doing tons of production work for him. Um, for me and Brett as well, we both do all our own edits of our screencasts. 
um, as I record, and I know, Brett, you do the same thing, because I can see in your files you'll have one long recording. Uh, we, we run tape, essentially, for the whole session and and try not to stop too often. And then you just go and you make the edits from within. So if you have to record a line two or three times to get it right, you don't have to be constantly stopping and restarting the recording. Um, but I'm the one who knows which take I want. And I just didn't really know a way. I hadn't worked enough with my daughter in this type of capacity to say she could figure out how I want this edited. So, and because I'm so fast on a keyboard with ScreenFlow, it's not that much work for me to do edits on these one to eight minute screencasts. Um, so I would do the cuts and kind of get the screencast built. Um, my microphone is a good microphone, but it's a little lower than Brett's. So I wanted an audio balance between them. So, and that's something she absolutely could do. Um, and like setting the titling and the closing slides and kind of that stuff. I had her do all that and that worked really well. So the way I did is I gave her access to the spreadsheet and, um, she saw the ones that had post-production and the ones that didn't as they went into the appropriate folder and she, she had a workflow down that she would open them up, do the post-production, get it locked down and saved. And then, uh, there's another person that I bought. I bought a copy of ScreenFlow for her. And we have a kind of a workflow we're doing. We're still in the middle of it right now because um, I, I, I'm having her do it as opposed to sending out to a company. I'd, I'd like to support the people around me. Um, but we have a workflow in Dropbox where the finalized videos are going in and then she's in ScreenFlow. She's going ahead and doing the closed captioning. And then in ScreenFlow, you export, it's kind of weird. You can export the file with the closed captioning attached to it, but the way Vimeo works, you need to actually have what they call an SRT file, which is the closed captioning standard. And, and ScreenFlow will export that. So we have to export the SRT out of ScreenFlow. And then on the Vimeo side, you have to re-import it and do some steps there to get closed captioning working. So that was a very long-winded answer to I'm help, getting help with post-production and I'm getting help with the uh, the closed captioning. I can't imagine letting someone else do my editing. Don does it, and they're pretty good. Right, but the stuff I cut out is embarrassing. Yeah, that's part of it, too. And the fact that I had to send you <laughs> the original ScreenFlow files and knowing that if someone was curious, they could see what I cut out... That was a little daunting. Nobody's that curious, Brett. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I I assume not, but the possibility is always there. Well, you know, if you know, someday um, I will release the uh, the un <laughs> the undisclosed files <laughs> of Terpstra. Real. <laughs> now that's that's what's really worth. I um, I it's funny to mine because when I listen to mine and edit them, and I like I trip over a word two or three times. I, it's not unusual for me to start laughing at myself while I'm recording. You know, because the other route is insanity, you know, so if I don't edit them right away and I go back and listen, sometimes I actually get a chuckle at myself listening to this, this dummy trying to get this, you know, saying the word, you know, farfignugan or something. He just can't get it out. Believe me, the the blooper reel for mine would be uh, not safe for work. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Casper. Casper is the online company that created an outrageously comfortable mattress, and it sells it direct to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Casper's award-winning mattress was developed in-house, has a sleek design, and is delivered in an impossibly small box. 
In addition to the mattress, Casper now offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. So it's no surprise they have an average of 4.8 stars across more than 30,000 online reviews. Their San Francisco research and development team have developed a proprietary foam that relieves pressure and increases airflow, and then combined it with a springy comfort layer to contour to your body to keep you cool. This means that Casper mattresses have just the right sink and just the right bounce. Casper makes a quality mattress at great prices. They are designed and developed in America, and they've cut all the hassle out of dealing with showrooms and are passing those savings directly onto the consumer. I sleep on a Casper mattress every night, and I'll tell you, after my experience receiving a Casper mattress in a box delivered directly to my home, I can't imagine ever shopping again for a mattress the old-fashioned way. It was simply so easy to buy a mattress, try it in my house, and if I didn't like it, you can return it as well, because buying a Casper mattress is easy and completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns to the U.S., Canada, and now the U.K. too. So with Casper, you can actually sleep on their mattress before you make your decision. Try it out for 100 nights and decide if it's the mattress that you want to spend a third of your life on. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. So you can get $50 towards a mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash MPU and enter the code MPU at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their continued support of this show. So guys, um, this is the, the part that David always likes to call the, the hippie part of the podcast. Why don't you talk a little bit about the why behind this project? You want to start, Brett? Or you want me to? I've already talked about granola once, you know. Well, for me, it's all about the money. Just the Benjamins. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll wrap us up for another episode. Was that that wasn't hippie enough? No, but seriously, like I, I work with uh, people I, from my parents to good friends, and like I said, a lot of them have used a Mac for a while, and am con- they're constantly expressing shock and awe at things that I think everyone should probably know. And so I wanted to make uh, a lot of my tips, those kind of those kind of basic things that I consider like vital to, to being productive on a Mac. But I've learned, you know, dealing with people, something I didn't used to do very often, but do more these days um, that a lot of people, they've never had a reason to know these things. And so that was that was impetus enough to start putting together a book like this and then uh, expand it out to the kind of shock and awe magic tricks that we did at Macworld. Because uh, at Macworld, we really didn't we were there to drop people's jaws like it was rapid fire. There wasn't a lot of time for questions and explanations. We just wanted to show people a lot really fast. And I enjoy Showing people something that shocks them, something they already had in front of them that they didn't know. Uh, I, I, my other calling would have been a magician, but I don't know any magic, so I'd use I use tips, and I feel like the book covers both ends of that pretty well. Yeah, and I feel like the book, you know, because at MacWorld we really had a minute per tip, and that's not enough. In this case, there are some tips that we can cover in a minute, but there are some that take eight minutes, and 
that we, in this case, we had enough time. We just decided we're going to take enough time to, to get the full explanation out. So you can stop and rewind and, and see how it works. Um, it, you know, just looking as I submitted this to the Apple store, I was thinking, you know, we've now done 120 tips that I think are really, I'd like to think they're really useful to people. And I've always believed that the difference between a Mac novice and a Mac power user isn't as long of a road as you think it is. Um, I think a lot of people, if they just want to spend a little bit of time learning some of this stuff, um, they can very easily incorporate it into their day. And and I've always said that my favorite thing about doing the Mac Power Users podcast and writing the books is those emails I get from people talking about um, making a little difference in their life. You know, uh, the things that Katie and I do together on the show, the things that Brett and I do with some of these books. Um, for a lot of people, they learn a tip or two, maybe that they don't need all 60, but maybe there's 10 in there that really make them get their work done faster. And then some, then you hear about people saying, oh, I get home sooner to my kids or I get to go do something else because I don't have to spend all my time at the computer. That's, to me, that's that's the payoff for all this stuff. I love hearing, um, uh, you know, from people that, that, that empower themselves with stuff like this. So since we're doing a hippie section, I would say I honestly think that power user is a... Uh, it's a it's a mindset. It's the people who start using something and immediately see possibility and they want to know how they can make it do more. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have all of the skills that they're popping up terminal to hack their dock regularly. Uh, it means that they're curious. And I think the people who buy this book probably have that curiosity. So it it is in that sense. It's a power user book. Yeah, it's always been aspirational. I think if you want to be a power user, you can be. It's not something that you have to spend years studying. I mean, we got between these two books, we have four hours of content. If you knew every tip in those four hours of content, you're a power user. I mean, I'm not. It's not marketing speak. I mean, there's some really great stuff in there, and you you really understand your Mac at that point. Given how much you and I learned from each other in the process of creating both of these books, uh, I would say that. There, anyone who knew all of this to begin with, probably beyond a power user. So let's talk a little bit about the logistics of the book. Um, give us some details. How do people buy it? What what do they need to in order to view it? Those types of things. Sure. It, it's the uh, so it depends on which which method you want. Like I talked about earlier, we have it in iBooks, and if you buy it in iBooks, you can play it on your Mac, iPad, iPhone. Uh, it's a book but it's a media rich book. It's like, like I was saying, it has barely just under two gigabytes of videos in it. It, it, it adds up to about two hours of running video for the 60 videos. And uh, that's a great platform to watch it on. Um, a lot of people bought the first one in iBooks. The nice thing about iBooks is if we make any updates to the videos, you'll get it. Like the people who bought version one are going to get that update. You just, it just downloads their device for them. Um, so you can buy that in the iBookstore. We're going to have a website, uh, 60tips.com, which is going to have links to all this stuff. As this show goes live, it'll already be, the update will be out. So you can go there and it'll point you to both places you can buy it. Um, the, the other version is just the streaming version. So if you're going to want to have the ability to stream it, then I recommend going the Vimeo route. Um, and that it's the same price. It's $20, whichever one you go to. Um, and with the Vimeo route, you get, all the videos, all 60 videos, you can download them or stream them. Uh, the quality is a little bit higher on Vimeo. 
Uh, but I think the quality is fine on iBooks too, if that's the way you prefer it. Uh, and the Vimeo, I can promise you there will be closed captioning for all of them. Um, the uh, On iBooks, there's some issues I'm running into. So I, I may be able to do an update where we get closed captioning in the iBooks, but right now I don't have it working. And um, so we'll see on that one. So if, you, if closed captioning is important to you, get it on Vimeo. All right. And uh, 60 Tips Volume 2 is available now, as well as the update to the original 60 Tips as well, correct? Yep. They're both out. So go check them out. Go get them. And um, I guess we'll we'll talk to you guys again in a couple of years when there's Volume 3. We still going to keep this going? Not to put you on the spot or anything. I would assume so. Yeah, I guess if people like it, there's there's more. Uh, there's another Quip database in me and Brett somewhere. <laughs> there you go. So if you want more of this stuff, go buy the book. Um, and if you want more from us, uh, you can find more from us on our website at uh, relay.fm slash MPU, as well as on our Facebook page. And Brett, you've got so much more over on your website. What are you up to these days and where can people find you? Well, like you said, com is the kind of central dumping ground for everything I do. Um, you can also find me weekly on Systematic over at esn.fm slash Systematic. And uh, Overtired got back on track recently with uh, Christina Warren at esn.fm slash Overtired. And between those three and then the user handle TT Scoff on just about every social media site you can imagine. You can figure out everything that I'm doing. Way too much about me. All right. Well, you can find our show. We're uh, at Mac Power Users on Twitter. I'm at Katie Floyd. David is at Max Sparky. Uh, we do want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Smile, Gazelle, Jamf, and Casper. And we will see you all next time. Thank you.